Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Is Metro back on track? On one side, the system has had a lot of wins recently. Take the opening of the Silverline extension that's now taking riders to Dulles, and also the recently announced opening of the Potomac Yard Station. But the challenges are there too. It's still trying to get all of its 7,000 series trains back on the rails. And Metro is facing a huge fiscal gap in the upcoming years, with ridership, especially on rail, still much lower than pre-pandemic levels. So where does Metro stand? Who better to ask than CEO and general manager of the system, Randy Clark? He comes on the show and really pulls back the curtain on this transit system, how it works, where his head is at, and what he believes the future holds for Metro. Woo! How long did we go for? I think we we might have got we might have got off on a couple things. Safe to say we cover a lot of ground. Metro CEO and general manager, Randy Clark, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Luke. So nine months at the helm of Metro. Yep. And since then, you know, you've made it clear that you want to transform this transit agency, which happens to be you know, one of the largest in the country. I mean, there's a lot to transform between ridership since you've got here, frequency of buses and trains, safety, as well as the budget and how to close a budget and keep the lights on here in Metro. So much so that when you got here, things were kind of looking tough. But uh, since you've arrived, you've been able to inject a ton of energy into the transit agency. So I want to start off with, you know, how have you done that? Oh, well, one, that's kind of you to use those terms, I guess. So thank you uh, for that. Uh, Listen, I love what we do, and I have a lot of passion for what we do. And uh, my job as the leader of Metro, in in a unique way, I kind of don't, you know, I'll I'll make this a joking way. I don't really do anything (laughs) because when you're the leader, you don't, like, I don't, I don't repair a bus. Right. I don't operate a bus or a train or fix a piece of track or Mm. do accounting or you name all these positions. My job is to help lead the organization forward and bring some passion to our workforce. So our workforce has had a, you know, rough couple of years, right? I mean, COVID took, the blood out of a lot of uh, America, but especially operating agencies that mm. kind of every day you have to be in the fight to deliver for your for your customers, your community. And so, you know, transit's one of those places that took that pretty hard. So I'm really proud of where we are. I, I think, you know, there will never be a day where we don't say there's more work to do. Mm. And we do have more work to do. But I do think we're going to be fair to the team. I think the team has moved the needle pretty significantly this year. And I'm proud of them. And you talk about the passion you've brought. So where did that come from? How did you fall in love with trains and buses and all this yeah, kind of stuff? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not like one of those. Uh, <laughs> and, I, and I'll say this to our trains and bus uh, nerds out there, that <laughs> I'm not like a natural train and bus nerd. I guess I've turned into one. And I don't know. Like I grew up in a small town in Nova Scotia, a fishing town, right? So it wasn't exactly like a, a transit right. monopolist, right? I guess I got into it by just understanding how important mobility was to people's lives. Like, So without good mobility, you can't hit any of these societal goals. When people talk about good education systems or access to food or, you know, impacts to, say, social criminal justice, Mm. to housing, to economic development and economic opportunity, all those things 
are connected to mobility. We're like the one thing that literally cannot be severed from anything else. And so you start understanding those layers to the onion, you get more interested in it. And then, uh, you know, I'm a natural person that I, I kind of try to live the way I talk. So, you know, we, we live in a dense area, we use system every day, or I walk, I bike, uh, we're, you know, we're vegetarian, vegan. I mean, yeah. I believe that we have a kind of existential climate issue as, mm. a, as a species that we should. So I'm going to try to do my part on that. I also believe heavily that what we do really connects people that maybe have had not as fortunate time as I've had in life. And I think there's a limited chance in that we're on this planet to kind of help others. And I think transit is one of those things that truly can be meaningful, not mm. just talk, but meaningful to people's lives. So I, I don't know. I, I, I just kind of, I guess maybe it's compounded over the years and I really enjoy what we do. And I, I, I wake up every day thinking, yes, like this is a lot of responsibility, this job in this place. But I also think what comes responsibility is big impact to people's lives. And I guess that's what keeps me going every day. I, I'm, I'm really excited every day to try to make a difference. Right. Existential. It's kind of existential yeah, yeah. desire to be yeah, here. Yeah. You're only on that. the planet for so long. And, right. You know, I'm try to try to do the best you can and at the end hopefully I'm a really old man and I say <laughs> some you know hey I'll those, those people are complaining but these people at least that I, I tried and we did something and so you're in your mid-40s uh, you got here again nine months ago as we mentioned and you have a desire to transform Metro it's going to take a long time to transform an agency as big as this one you know you've got a long career ahead of you are you kind of committed to you know sticking around here for a while to to stay here yeah well I, I I'm giving you the smile because the joke was you're going to ask me what I want to be <laughs> when I grow up and listen I, I am committed to this agency the agency is committed to me right and so I, I appreciate the opportunity the board gave me I, I signed a five-year contract my wife and I love living here and that was actually one of the most important reasons not only just to have the opportunity to run Metro but we love the DMV area we're incredibly happy to be back uh, I could see myself living in the DMV the rest of my life but you know I, to me I'm concentrated day by day right mm. what's the work ahead of us and when you say the word transform I, there are parts that have to transform in the sense of Transform to me is about mindset more than a physical thing, right? We're not going to transform the DMV physically. It is what it is. The, the Potomac River is not moving, right? <laughs> right? The Pentagon's not moving. The White House isn't moving. Our red line's not moving. These, these are things. They're physical and they're important. Transform to me is mindset about why we do things and how it's always good to embrace an open mind around change. A great mentor of mine used to say, Randy, there's two universal things that people dislike, change and the way things are. And I've decided change is the thing that I like more than the way things are, right? Mm. So you don't change to change. So if something's good, good. As long as it's justified, you stay. But I believe in transformation means you are constantly willing to question things to always then lean on making them better. And, uh, and a big part of that is questioning yourself. So if you make a mistake, if you're not willing to acknowledge when you make a mistake, you will never get better in life. And I don't care, that's probably a tenet of AA or NA, right? right? To a tenet of you, if you really wanna lead an organization, be part of an organization. So that's to me the transformation is, hmm. we have an enormously good staff here. Like the people here are committed, they work really hard 24 seven, 365, through special events, bad weather, you name it. People are committed. What I'm hoping to do with the mindset of the organization is be, you know, try to manage risk in a different way versus just being told, hey, you know, WTOP or Washington Post is going to say, oh, Metro screwed up again. Right. Or somebody's going to do an audit and say, we don't want those things, obviously, but we can't live in this box of fear mm. of not doing anything because we're worried that one person's going to say we didn't do something right. So let's be fact-driven, be community-oriented, do our best, and when our best is still not perfect, 
hold our head up high and say, we're doing the best because we're humans and we're fallible. Mm. So give it the best we got. And I think when we do that, you get unbelievable grace from people in the community and your customers that say, yeah, like once in a while, someone's going to make a mistake. Right. It's not learning from your mistakes that kind of me, to me is unacceptable. And what we've created, I think, a lot in America now is we're so blame-oriented and negative-oriented that no one really wants to do too much on around taking any risks because you're just going to get dumped on anyway. Mm. So that's where I think as a leader, my job is to create space for great people to work here to not worry about someone saying they're bad. And so let's you know talk about that mindset and how it's impacted you know, Metro in these last nine months. Let's start with, you know, ridership. It looks like, you know, Metro is kind of clawing back a lot of the ridership it lost during the pandemic. Where do things stand and what more is there to do? Yeah, it's, I'll tell you, I'm really feeling good about ridership in the last, you know, probably six, eight weeks. It's really starting to, to come together. Uh, do we have a way to go? Sure. Uh, especially on the rail side. Uh, we still got more work to do there, but like take the bus side. During the week, we're probably getting close to that 80 to well, almost maybe some days 89%, I, guess, I think it is, if I get those numbers correct, on weekday bus recovery from pandemic. But on the weekend, we're above pre-pandemic. So we're delivering better service on the weekend and more people are using it. So, mm. you know, anyone that says, oh, no one's using the system. Well, why is it we carry more people on Saturday, Sunday than we did before the pandemic? On the rail side, slowly but surely, the system is coming back. You know, we had a problem that all trans agencies had, which, which is COVID and work from home and all those other things. So, you know, there's all those and we can talk about those if you like. Mm. But the other big issue that hit us on the rail side is we weren't running trains. Yeah. Right. So you put A plus B together. It was just a crisis that really other agencies didn't have to deal with. Right. So that's why I think New York has come back stronger as a good example or L.A. They didn't have half the rail fleet in a rail yard not moving. So, you know, what I'm really proud of this team, both our safety team, our vehicle team and a lot of others, we are running today more than 50 percent more trains than when I even got here in July. Mm. Um, so we still got more to do, but that is an enormous amount. And I think most people generally feel the the headways of the frequency in the system is pretty good right now, not to where we need it to be, right? You know, for all your listeners out there, I'm not suggesting we're, we're good where we are, but it is pretty just stark difference where we were last summer. Mm. And I think each time we increase service, which we have another one coming up when we open Potomac Yard, there's going to be another increase. We look for another one this summer. Uh, and then, you know, the fall, we hope to be back to really that full metro service. Seven stations have been opened in your first nine months here. Is that a strategy you plan to continue? Do you want more stations kind of popping up throughout the region? Is that a strategy or is that just kind of a happenstance? Well, I, I think the happenstance is that, uh, you know, timing timing's everything. Like, like I met my wife on the subway in Boston. <laughs> right. So like, you know, I could have been in a different car or I could have been in a different train. So timing is a big thing in life. So, you know, uh, don't, don't, fight there's na- that. don't fight nature and there's good karma. In some ways, my timing here has just been unique because, you know, the team has the one delivers, right? With that said, I do think we have to continue to have a vision of what the future is. So our short term is we have a financial crisis coming on the operating side. And maybe we'll you know put a foot or a pin in that and get back to talk about that. But, you know, you can't. You can't be thinking about capital only and expansion without understanding what are operating. And that's the nexus of how they those two have to work together. Yeah. But on the capital side, yeah, like like a good example. From Stadium Armory to Roslyn, or the you know, people call it the Roslyn Tunnel. We don't need another tunnel, Roslyn. We need, we have a whole bottleneck between Roslyn and Stadium Armory. We are almost at total capacity to run trains, which means mm. everyone in Virginia that wants more train service will not get more train service because there's nowhere else to put the trains, mm. right? So that hell has to get addressed. So we're going to be bringing more information to the board in the upcoming months to have that 
discussion. And it's billions of dollars, of course. But, you know, in my opinion, we will need another rail line here or we're going to be constrained forever. D.C. has had a lot of conversations about Georgetown. Yeah. So if you're going to do it, you connect it there. Quite frankly, Union Station, we're about to put billions of dollars into redeveloping Union Station. The Mark and VRE are trying to figure out how to do their through trains, which will connect the region. Amtrak wants to do massive train expansion out of there. That's equivalent to DCA or Dulles from a regional you know, mobility asset. Well, we only have the red line going there. So if you're going to have another line, you should connect Union Station to that so more people mm. have access to the regional rail hub that connects everywhere. So we need to be thinking about those kinds of things. There's a few places for some more infill stations. Like when we built the Silver Line, Wolf Trap is kind of set up to put an infill station there. There's no money for that now, but long term, I think most people would want to see that happen. Is it maybe on the top priority list? Probably no. Right. But is it there? Sure. People want to extend the orange line. People want to extend the red line. I mean, there's an unlimited amount of things people want to do, but we also have to be financially smart about what those decisions are because, like, if you look at an aerial shot of the DMV, all the development is where the metro goes, right? right? So where metro goes, the community kind of develops, right? So what is our long forecast here for the DMV? And that's how we should be investing in our, our infrastructure assets. Mm. Are there any conversations about where the next commander stadium would be and whether metro would be a part of that? Well, I haven't had any conversations with anyone. I will say this. Uh, as someone that's a, I've been a big sports fan my whole life, but as a transportation professional, I can't comprehend that that anyone would build an asset that big and not have one of the first thoughts of how do you get the people not only that want to go to these games there, how all the people that work there to deliver, whether it's concessions and security and all that kind of thing, are going to get there if you don't actually have transit. So if you look at all the best sporting venues in the world, they are all connected via transit. So you wouldn't go to an English premier game in London or, or in England and not have that. Look at our Capital One Center where with Caps and Nats and they, they play, connect it, right? Nats Park. Audi Field. Could you imagine yeah. that? Audi Field. If you Fenway Park in Boston to uh, the Garden in, you know, in Boston to all these other places, right? They're all connected through transit. So I, find, I, I would like to think that's a strategy if that happens. We haven't gotten a call yet. We have not got a call, but we're happy to be part of a conversation that is about mobility. I, I don't want to get involved in politics and jurisdiction that's not but if someone wants to have a conversation about mobility and connecting things together we're we're happy to talk we've been hearing from metro ceo and general manager randy clark on his plans to transform the dmv's transit agency coming up we talk about safety on metro and why clark thinks a dc law needs changing stay right here Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Now, moving to public safety, you mentioned it, and it's uh, you know, a big concern broadly, you know, politically, but also for Metro. We've had a couple awful tragic incidents occur um, at Metro stations. 
you know, it also prevents people from sometimes taking the service. You know, mm -hmm. they're kind of worried about what's going on underground. How do you assure passengers that, you know, Metro's doing all they can to, to keep it safe? Yeah, well, I think the key what you just said is what I can assure. We are doing everything we can. Right. And I think the most reasonable people know that there's things in society that Metro can't solve. So someone will tweet at me and something happens out in the society and say, see, Metro, you're not safe. Well, I, if I had a magic bullet, probably bad use term, but magic snap my fingers right. and could solve gun violence in America tomorrow, clearly I would do that instantaneously. Right. We have a larger societal issue with gun violence. I mean, we probably have four mass shootings in the last six days. Right. Um, so it's not a Metro issue when it comes to gun violence. Right. What we are is we are a fabric of the community. We go everywhere, and therefore we touch everyone. Whether you use us or not, Metro touches you. So by nature, when there's good or bad in society, so take a good. When a good is like, say, going to a Nats game, bunch of people and wearing hats and jerseys and singing songs or going to a D.C. United game and people are chanting and they're mm -hmm. having a great time. That's right. when community is good and transit brings good together. Unfortunately, from time to time, there might be an incident on the street that then kind of ends up in our system. So that's where bad comes into our system. And that's what being an open kind of, you know, community-based system does. Unfortunately, you got some negative that comes in your system. So the things we're doing, we've increased police patrol significantly at least since I've been here. We have joint partnerships with a lot of police partners. So I want to thank the mayor. She's really stepped up her leadership on MPD, and they're doing joint patrols with us and a bunch of overtime details. We have four or five other departments around the region that are doing that as well, and I want to thank them. We've increased our officers. We just did another police academy graduation two weeks ago. I think we had 18 more officers. Uh, we are still understaffed, probably by 60, 80 officers, but we're doing everything we can to do that. And they're everywhere now. So they're, you know, they're not doing construction details. They're not doing paperwork. They're in the field. Mm. I think we've increased just in, uh, transit police visibility details by almost 40, 30, 40 percent. We hired special police officers to be at, uh, I think we're up to almost 10 or 12 stations from start to finish of a day. We're adding more video and enhancing our video capabilities. We hired five social workers, crisis intervention specialists. We're hiring five or six more. So these are actual social worker, you know, crisis specialists, not police, unarmed, going out and trying to, you know, talk with people, de-escalate, deal with people that may be experiencing mental illness, those things. And then, you know, you put all that together, we're also working on our fare stuff. So fare right. evasion has been clearly an issue since I've got here. Everyone, the, the gate design is, we'll just say, room for improvement. I think, that, <laughs> I think that's fair to say. Fort Totten was our first station. We just redid all of the gates. It's completely different setup there now. Early data suggests we have a significant drop in fare evasion after we changed Fort Totten. Now we're going to be rolling that out every other station. So and people can expect that to be in every everywhere. other station. Everywhere. Yeah, there's no question. We, we need to gain control of the system back, and we got to bring a sense of orderliness, and we got to get that revenue as well. So it's a it's not just revenue. It's not just orderliness. It's it's all of it together. And, and because this is an audio medium, yeah. can you describe those uh, those new kind of fair gates to, to the listeners? Yeah, so they used to be, most people saw these like orange gates that kind of... Triangles. Uh, kind yeah, of. triangles that go in and out from you know both sides. So what we've done is changed that out to a saloon gate, right? It's the best way that we kind of describe it. Got the it. image, yeah. Yeah, and it's one-sided, 
reinforce. So we've done it a couple different times, realized these hinges weren't hard enough, uh, the glass wasn't strong enough. So we've solved all that. They're much higher. They're over four feet total high now. Uh, reinforced uh, hinges. Like if I tried, I mean, we've done videos <laughs> where it's almost impossible to get through them. I mean, you like can trying to run through them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You, the average person is not doing that. We also had to, you know where the fencing is on the side where our emergency gates and all that? Those things were too low and they didn't line up. So we've fixed all those as well. So we kind of have like a solid, if you will, line of demarcation across mm. the across the fair array now. So we know that's going to help uh, really dramatically. You know, an important part of fair evasion that, uh, you know, I think there's worth some nuance here. And I think this is really important. So I wasn't here when, especially in the district, this whole decriminalization around fair evasion. And it's a serious topic that I think we got to probably bring back up to mm. some extent. And I, when I'm saying that, I'm not advocating that we should say fair evasion is a criminal citation or a criminal act that way. But I think there was something lost um, in maybe the overall plan here. And, and what that is, it's not everyone that fair evades commits criminal activity on our system, but almost universally, and I'm talking 99.9% of people that commit criminal acts in our system, fair evade, hmm. right? So yeah. again, really clear, lots of people are fair evading. They're not bad human beings. Right. They might have bad economic issues, or they might not be, you know, there could be kids kind of being bratty and they want to, you know, show their flex of authority. Mm -hmm. It could be a variety of reasons, right? And so I'm not prejudging or any of those individuals. But people that are doing violent crimes are almost, like no one's tapping in so we know who they are and then going downstairs with a gun and assaulting someone. Right. Right. That, so we need to, as a region, realize that we do have some violence going on here in a region. I think we'd be head in the sand if we pretend that there's not. So I think one of the tools that we've kind of lost a little bit of control in the district itself that we still do in Virginia and Maryland, it's important, is when we give a fair evasion citation and process in Maryland, Virginia, we also ID that person. And therefore, we can also run them for, check them for outstanding warrants. Right. So I was in Boston two weeks ago doing a meet the team event. A guy fair evaded, police uh, got him. Mm -hmm. They uh, they ran his background, right? And he had two outstanding assault warrants. So then he got arrested. So no, because oh. he fair evaded is one. The only reason they stopped him is he fair evaded, but he also had two outstanding violent criminal warrants. We don't do that in D.C. because in the D.C. law, it's it's a, it's a citation, but we're not allowed to check the same way. So that's some, that's a good example of I think something that we could maybe work on, which is still not making it criminalized, mm -hmm. but bringing us more ability to, we do, all I want to do is keep people that are going to harm people off the system. Right. I want someone to be able to use the system and feel safe. And I want one of my employees to be able to go to work and come home at night safely and feel safe. Because sometimes, I mean, people are fearful. That's a perception. I mean, you listed some great things that Metro is yep. doing, but there is a perception. I just, the other night, I had like a friend whose parents were visiting and they were in Alexandria. They were in, he was in Silver Spring and uh, they took Metro to go up and visit him. But at night, they took an Uber. You know, they didn't want to pay the 40 bucks, but they were a little worried, you know? Yeah. Um, and so... And I feel bad perception? that people say that, right? Because the reality is, the chances of something happening are statistically so small, mm. right? Like, we're, we're, we're an incredibly safe place on the Metro. Like, incredibly safe place. But the reality is, there's stuff everywhere. Like, like carjackings. So people are like, oh, I'm not going to Metro. Well, we have car... Like, we're averaging like three or four carjackings in the region a day, mm. right? I think we've had a thousand carjackings in the region. Right. So then... How are you going to be in that? I mean, Ubers and Lyfts. I saw there's been crimes recently where Ubers and Lyfts are getting uh, uh, carjacked or yeah. people kidnap people and they won't let them out, right? So, I mean, we have a, a larger issue. Part of the problem, too, is our society is we are inundated with digital media that drives 
a narration of criminal behavior. You mean fear? Yes. I mean, fear sells, right? So, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. And, and that's just how it works. And it's, that's part of our society. We're, we're addicted to seeing traumatic things. If you watch the nightly news, it's going to be fires, murders, hurricanes, that, these things, right? No, and then at the end, there's like a 30-second thing about something that's nice. A kicker about a puppy. Right, yeah, a puppy and a, a, puppy and a kid that mm. saved, saved the Monday, right? So we are in, we, we've done this to ourselves. Most people are on Twitter or these things all day long, and it drives a narrative. So, but I want to be clear. That doesn't mean we don't have a problem. Yeah. The question is, what is the context of the problem? So if you get on Metro today, the chances of you having a safe Metro trip are unbelievably high. right? I take the system every single day. I've seen a couple things in nine months. And then what I do is I text, same as any other customer, I would text the police in, in, our, in our text app and get them aware of something. Mm. Um, but I do want to just reassure people, literally there is not one resource or ounce of energy we are sparing or I'm sparing for safety on the system. All day, every day, it's the only thing I think about. If we never gained more back ridership, if we never did all these other stuff, I'd be okay as long as we never had anyone hurt on the system. But I can only do so much around that. And I think how reasonable people know I can't solve that on my own. You know, the mayor's not solving their own. The president's not solving their own. Like the individuals can't solve things. Only communities can eventually solve big, big community-based problems. So we've talked about safety. We've talked about expanding metro and bus and rail. All of that takes money. Mm-hmm. Right, and there is an impending. I think that's maybe a fair word. Yeah, to I use. think that's, that's very impending fair. fiscal cliff, fiscal gap. There is money that's not there for the future. In other words, by 2025, Metro needs to find some more money, basically, in order to operate as is. Is that a fair assessment? Very, and the and the Washington Bistro that I think incredibly. A good job of that story because they gave a lot of space to tell a complex story. This story started in 1976 when the Metro Rail system opened. And it's funny, in the article, it kind of quotes that I have this book in my office that the Ford Foundation and some others did this study in 1976. Hmm. And the conclusions was, this is not financially set up correctly. And if we don't solve this soon, eventually this is going to be the biggest disaster in the D.C. region. 1976. 1976. So the system was never set up in a most places have some type of dedicated funding, mm. so then you have predictability and, and sustainability of a funding source. We don't have that. People will say to me all the time, Randy, you have all this money. I'm like, I don't really have that much money at all. We manage money from a bunch of other people for the transit system, right? Virginia gives us money, Maryland gives us money, DC gives us money, the federal government gives us money. We do fair revenue and advertising basically internally. Mm-hmm. That's it. So we're this like confederation of of funding in this in this kind of formula. You got to remember this thing was put together with like LBJ was the president, right? Right? And it was like let's have this compact and and it was great cuz the only way this thing got done was the genius behind that. But what the thought was in the 60s to create this kind of you know multi-jurisdictional creature. And then in the 70s, when they realized what the financials would be to where we are in 2023, I mean, the world's changed pretty significantly. And we need to kind of evolve to what what the realities of today are, let alone what the next 50. So we, when I got here, we had about $180 million budget deficit. We figured that out for this year. I just tell everyone, there are, there's no tricks next year. Like we've used up every creativity we could do. We reduced some headcount. We worked on some, you know, internal efficiencies on like non-revenue vehicles and call center consolidation. Uh, luckily, our Fed, the federal infrastructure bill that passed had some more formula money that we could kind of put in a certain bucket. You know, we did a very minor uh, fare increase on some people, not not the whole whole group. 
we can't fare increase out of this. We can't ridership uh, growth our way out of this. It's just a structural issue. So we're talking like seven hundred plus million dollars in FY twenty five is just the deficit. You have to fill that. In other words, find the money somewhere. Yeah. So we can't afford service you would get at the end of the summer. We can't afford to run that the next summer. Hmm. Right. So we are going to have, and I'm talking massive cuts. Tell me, this is catastrophic stuff, like double probably what the what the cuts were going to be during COVID. So we got a little bit more work on some analysis we're going to do, but probably sometime by the end of June, we're going to be publicly showing the consequences both. And I want to be clear, Luke, it's the consequences of if we don't as a region come together, what the cuts and how bad this thing could be. Because when we say cuts, the only thing we really could do is is people. We're, we're like 70% of our costs are labor. Mm. And the second you cut cutting people, cut service. And then when you cut service, you lose even more ridership. And, the, and that is the quintessential death spiral metaphor. But I want to be clear. It's not just doom and gloom because we could also decide what, what we really want this region to be. And you started like, you know, a while ago saying, where do you want other stations? Yeah. Well, it's not so much where I want them, but where does the region want them through an analysis? And so like people, there's that line we talked about between Roslyn and State Armor. We need to fix that. I've had so many people since I've been here say, hey, we need a, a rail connection between Bethesda and Tyson's. Why does the purple line just keep on going and yeah. do that? I mean, there's a lot of logic to that. National Harbor, people want National Harbor connected. People want 24-hour bus service. People want bus service instead of 15-minute headways on buses, 10. And where it's 20, 15. And where it's 30, 20. Mm. And all that takes resources. So, And plus, we need communications-based train control signaling so we can advance really fast and, and safe trains. We should have platform screen doors on all of our stations so no one could trespass or mm. slip fall and get in front of a train. Kind of like airport trams have. Totally. Yeah. I mean, this is all the best in class. If you went to Paris and you went to some place in London or Asia. So why is it that we can't be best in class of all of these things, right? We should do more public art integration to our facilities and make them a better part of our our community. We want to advance our zero emission technology. We want solar at all of our facilities to reduce our carbon footprint and eventually get better ROI on that. What we're going to show is two competing versions coming up. We're going to show what the, if you will, the death spiral is going to look like, mm. but also what a good vision for this place could be. And to be clear, you know, you're presenting that to the public, but yeah. mostly to politicians, right? Because the money is not coming from riders affairs. It's coming from public funding, you know, and that's going to take kind of a cultural societal shift in what you know, we value as a, a region, find, you know, $700 million. Well, I, I wouldn't set the bar at $700 million. $700 million is the deficit, okay, which means the, you the get floor. nothing. Yeah, of course it's the floor because that's status quo. That means mm. we're not – and then all the capital money that everyone worked hard on in 2018, that, that wears out by, by 2030. So then what are we going to do for state of good repair after that? But here's the thing. Washington Post did something, I think it was maybe four weeks ago, if I had to guess, but did a whole survey, and it was like something like 70-some percent, 75% of people think Metro is good value yeah. and whatever, right? If you go around, all our research shows the same thing. People in this region understand the value of Metro, whether they use Metro or not, because they might only use Metro three times a year to go to a concert or a game. They might use it every single day. Their wife might use it. Their son might use it. Their father may use it. They may have a disabled uh, family member that needs Metro access, a senior citizen, uh, someone that has uh, a bill that can't drive, mm. someone that is a, uh, wants to go from a two-car to a one-car family, a one-car family to a zero-car. Right. They want to go one car to a bike in Metro. Most everyone here, I don't care what political affiliation you are, what gender you are, what age you are, I have never heard someone say, I don't want clean air. 
people universally want to help other people get better access to economic opportunity, right? Everyone hates traffic. I mean, good. Actually, you guys might be the only one that like traffic because <laughs> you say. get every ten minutes. You could, uh, you know, it's the ultimate. That's good. That's uh, good point. But, yeah. but you know what I mean. No one likes the bad things and everyone wants better things and so whether you use transit or not it's like schools right so i live in d i happen to live in dc i want a great public school system and i have no kids in the public school system but i still want that system to be good because if it can't if it's not we don't have a healthy community i've never used the fire department in my life right i've never called 911 for a fire emergency. i want a great fire department because the day i do make a phone call right. i want them to show up and revive me and and save my life so you know these are good community assets and our region is very special that way where people value public service and community goods more than probably lots of other places in the region so i'm bullish that we're going to solve this problem and ultimately yes politicians will have to make decisions but I've never met a politician that, that doesn't want to make decisions that their constituents don't value. Mm. And so at the end of the day, it always matters what people want uh, and for their, for their dollars and where they're spent. And I think overwhelmingly everyone knows Metro is, is what makes this region special. We started the show with some hope. It sounds like you're hopeful that this transit budget gap is going to be filled. But what about that Loudoun County resident who just drives and is like, I don't want my money kind of going to Metro? You know, what, what are you, you going to say to them? So, well, does that person... Like, so, But I guarantee that same... I think you use Loudoun, but you know, we could use 50 Montgomery other County, places. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Okay. But that same person listens to WTOP on the way in, mm -hmm. and they hate traffic today. So without Metro, how do you think traffic's going to be? Here's the ultimate interesting part about transit. If you don't use transit, you desperately want everyone else to use transit. And that's your bet. <laughs> that's just the reality, right? Because right. we have a game of geometry, right? These roads aren't getting bigger. And if they got bigger, then they just get filled anyway with latent and induced demand. Hmm. So if, again, you want clean air, you want all these other value propositions, you need transit to work. If you want to drive, your roads aren't getting wider. So Connecticut Ave. Connecticut Ave is never getting wider ever again. And maybe I shouldn't use Connecticut because there's a lot of stuff going on with that, right? But Wisconsin, the Beltway, yeah. the toll road, the bridges coming in to in another district example, right? New York Ave, all these places, they are physically set. We either get more people in bigger vehicles, i.e. like buses and trains, or the congestion only gets worse, hmm. right? Like you every person knows you can't have just a line of one person in a vehicle, it's just horrible, and it's, mm. and it's not a good society way. So, I, I, again, I'm, I am very bullish because we are not like some startup operation. And, yeah, some people will say Metro has problems. I'll say, yes, our job is to continue to make them better. We have a good system here. Our job is to bring it back to be the pride of the region, which I think we're on our way to do that. Pride of being the best agency, transit agency in the country, adopting world-class practices. Everyone I mostly interact with around here wants us to be better, not fall apart. And better means not just for them being a, a rider. They understand that without, without Metro succeeding, this region cannot be successful in the future. Randy Clark, thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks. Good seeing you, Luke. And that'll do it for us here on the DMV Download Podcast. Thanks so much for listening and let us know how we're doing here on this show. Give us a review and rate us on your favorite podcast platform. Also, if you have thoughts about things we cover here on this show, let us know. You can find us at DMV Download on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. This show is brought to you by WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in the DC area, 107.7 FM in Virginia, 
103.9 FM in Frederick, Maryland, online at WTOP.com, and of course on the WTOP News app. Have a great week. We'll talk Wednesday.